Hello from my new apartment in Los Angeles, where I finally have internet, kind of. Um, I don't usually like to name drop, but I have to tell you guys that a couple of weeks ago, I saw Christian Slater in the wild. He used to be one of my biggest crushes when I was an adolescent because I loved him in the movie Pump Up the Volume, where he was like a pirate radio host, and his show was so scandalous that at a certain point he was transmitting it from like a truck while the police were chasing him, and every teenager rallied around. And I realized that not only did I have a crush on him, but that might also be my podcast route. I was like, that's the coolest thing you can do is have a radio show. So here we are. Um, This week I talked to Amos Mack, And of course now I'm going to tell you to go pledge to become a subscriber to my Patreon, which is $2 a month, patreon.com slash Nicole J. Georges. I just posted my notes from Judith Butler's talk, This Is What Resistance Looks Like. And pretty soon I'm going to post a comic, a diary comic from that time I had food poisoning. Do you remember when there wasn't an episode that week? Well, I drew a comic about it. Um, That's all. I hope you have a good week. Goodbye. Sagittarian Matters. Today on Sagittarian Matters, I eat carob, give advice, talk about Craigslist and original plumbing with photographer Amos Mack. Stay tuned. Amos Mack is a photographer, a portraitist, and one of the masterminds behind Original Plumbing Magazine. He currently lives in Los Angeles, California, where he is co-parenting a Pekingese rescue named Cody. When Amos came over, we were so busy eating carob, giving advice about love, giving advice about art, and talking about our mutual experience of La La Land that we didn't even get to talk about O.J. Simpson or JonBenet Ramsey quite as much as we had hoped. He'll have to come back on another episode. You can find him at amosmack.com. Now please enjoy my talk with photographer Amos Mack. Amos Mack, welcome to Sagittarius Matters. Oh, thank you so much. From one Sagittarius to the next. Oh yes, you're Sagittarius. Thank you for having me. Uh, We are in my bed. Don't be alarmed. It is the day after Valentine's Day. It is. This is the third or fourth in-bed interview I've done. Okay. The first one was Phoebe Gleckner. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of... It's just is sometimes the best place. Vanessa Davis sat in my room with producer Ponyo. Pigeon came to visit. We did it in my room. I can't remember why. Best place in the house. The audio sounds good. Um, Amos, I have a lot of advice questions for you. Oh, that's amazing. But can I ask you, how was your Valentine's Day? My Valentine's Day was good. Um... My boyfriend and I went out to an early dinner, and I'm talking 5 p.m. Oh, I like what you're saying. Yep. And uh, during the day, though, we went to a dog beach in Malibu, Mm -hmm. brought our dog to the beach for the first time, where he immediately tumbled into the ocean. He's a Pekingese with very short legs. Ran along the ocean. I tried to have a cinematic moment. The waves crashed at his feet, drug him into the water. He did a little tumble and couldn't get up, so I had to grab him by the harness and, you know, take him back to... Back to the sand, but he was, um, he hated it. So that was fun. Mm -hmm. And the dog hated it, but I enjoyed my time. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so yeah, 5 p.m. dinner, first one's there, and then went to get soft serve vegan ice cream at Magpie, which is my favorite place. And then Mm -hmm. went home and watched some special programming. What kind of special programming? I'm trying to, I said that because I couldn't actually remember off the top of my head. I can't even remember. Because it was that good? No, because it... Oh, Shit's Creek. I've been watching Shit's Creek. I don't know what that is. Um, it's a show with Catherine O'Hara and uh, Eugene Malik Levy. Oh, yeah. Who are two of my favorites. Oh, yeah. So um, anything Catherine, Catherine O'Hara is in, I will watch, especially Home Alone. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. I just love her in, like, comedic roles. I forgot about her in Home Alone. Yeah, she's good. When she's in Best in Show... Her character is a lot like my mom. Okay, like the experience right. of my mom. Like like my mom's Catholic now. But just like when they like go other places and all guys are like, hey, hey remember what a great time we had? <laughs> <laughs> I like her in um, uh, Waiting for Guffman. God, I haven't seen that in so long. That's good. When she's 
you know, the fledgling actor, actress, mm-hmm. actrice of mm-hmm. her town. Um, and she in Blaine, Missouri, I believe that's where the, her and her husband are both actors. And at the end of the, the film, you see they move to L.A., to become like background actors on commercials, and oh, they cool. are. I remember she goes, "Yeah, moved to Hollywood. First, ca- first class Greyhound tickets." To oh Hollywood. wow! Oh wow! <laughs> That's how you got here too, right? Yeah, same. From yeah. New York. First class Greyhound. First class Greyhound. Yeah, of course. What? Uh, how would my listeners know you? Uh, your listeners might know me from Original Plumbing Magazine, um, co-founder and publisher of the Trans Magazine, Original Plumbing. And also, I am a photographer who has been uh, creating portraits of like people in the trans community and queers in general for the past decade. Um, and did you want me to say that? No. Okay, that was just a that note was for, for me. Sorry. I'm, I'm writing down notes live. <laughs> so those are two main things that people would know me. I've done mm-hmm. a lot of other things, but those are the biggest things. Wait, you also made something called Trans Lady Fanzine? Oh yeah, that was a project, a collaboration with Zachary Drucker, mm-hmm. an artist and producer in Los Angeles. So we collaborated on a group of photographs together and I produced them into a, a large scale magazine zine, an mm-hmm. art zine I called it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, um, that's a beautiful piece that I, yeah. What is, what happens in Original Plumbing? Original Plumbing is like a, a magazine that has um, photo essays and interviews with uh, portraits of people and uh, first person narratives, mm-hmm. articles like that. I so. think that the name is very brilliant. Oh, thank As you. As time goes by, that sinks in more that I'm like, I can't believe that's the name of the magazine. <laughs> like, how did you guys think of the name? I know that you probably answered this question like in 2004 or something. But like you were like born answering this well, question. Well, two thousand and nine was when I, it started. So like but, even yeah, before so then, people were like, really, yeah. "Yeah." Well, it was um, from I saw it on a Craigslist post by a trans guy who was like, "I have original plumbing below" or something like that, oh. and I said, "Oh, that's a good name." That is a really good trans male magazine that I'm putting together. Op. Yeah. Wait, I was just thinking about you're also a fan of Desperate Living, right? Yeah. This has nothing to do with that, except for I was just looking at a picture of Peggy Gravel in the bathroom. Where there's like two glory holes cut out and boobs come through the glory holes. <laughs> it has nothing to do with that except for I thought of just a visual, a, a Craigslist post of somebody having having to write about their body in a Craigslist post. Okay. No, yeah. I'm John Waters. Sorry. It's okay. Um, I never. I don't think I've ever. Uh, I never. Have you ever been a Craigslist post? Me? Yeah. Like a sexy Craigslist post? I, what? Excuse me. Yeah. Can we ask that again? Have you ever made a sexy Craigslist post ad? Back in the day, yeah. Are you allowed to say I don't that? know if I'd say it was even sexy, but it was straight to the point, probably. You're like, here's my address. No. Whoever gets there first. <laughs> I feel like sometimes I, I would put up posts and then do nothing with responses. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That was probably more like my MO back then. A Craigslist flake? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. collecting a pick, a pick collector, as they call it. I just remembered once... I don't know. I'm, I, like, I think about this must have been like an ancient day in the internet. Like when you're looking for hookups on Craigslist. As opposed to like the different apps and things that are happening now. Um, for some reason I emailed some like hard up lesbian on there. And then when she sent me a... And I accidentally was using an email address that had my real name in it. Mm. But I didn't realize that's what was happening. I thought Craigslist was masking it. Mm-hmm. And then when she sent me a picture of herself, I didn't write her back. Because I didn't like the picture. Mm-hmm. It's like dumb. She's like wearing a cowboy hat, smoking a cigarette. I don't know. It just wasn't my thing. And then fast forward, like six months later, I was at a gay dance night in Portland in the bathroom line, and I was right behind her in the bathroom line. I was like, <gasps> but I was like, it's okay. She never saw my picture. She only knew my name. And then someone came out of a bathroom stall that I knew and just said my full name. There was like Nicole J. Georges. What are you doing here? And then I just felt like my cover was blown. Do you think did she react? Or I don't, was it I mean, too loud? Maybe she wasn't paying attention. I don't know. I mean, I think yeah. it's possible she did a double take. She definitely, it didn't sink in at the exact moment that it did for me. Because standing behind her, I'd been like, oh God, oh God, oh God. That's happened before too, where I was stuck behind someone who I ghosted on Tinder in line for soft surf in Portland. And I and then I was like, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. I go, this person did apology. Oh, what do I, don't I just tap her on the shoulder? What do I do? It was just really... Was she wearing a cowboy hat in the the one that you saw after? No, I mean she looked pretty similar to the picture okay. that I had swiped left upon. 
thematically mm. speaking. Anyway, sorry, I just diverted from OP Magazine talking about Craigslist. That's fine. Same thing. Same thing. OP Craigslist? Yes. You don't have personals in there, do you? No, but that's such a good idea. And I feel like at one point, Rocco and I did talk about um, creating personals on the, on the website or something. But I don't think we ever actually went through with that. It was just like a fun idea we threw out. Yeah. Well, because I thought about the Herstory Instagram they have sometimes personals where people from wherever will just like write their personals ad. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. It is interesting. Know. And then they can be like, just tag, you know, and, it, and it's tagged with them. So anyone that's interested can just go to their Instagram profile. Wow. And nice. then DM them. I mean, I think OP in a, in a sense is kind of like, uh, you can use it as a personal ad by just picking up a, uh, an issue and looking through it and then Googling the guys who are in it. Oh, you know what I mean? Or yeah. the people who are in it that you're interested in, and then, you know, taking it from there. What was your <laughs> yeah. mission statement behind doing the magazine? Um, to create a print publication where trans men speak for themselves and created by trans guys. Mm-hmm. One of those deals. You know, creating visibility for people, for trans men, by trans men. And then, like, later in later years, we were not so strict with only having trans men in it, and we were, like, including stories of all different um, genders. Oh. You know, transgenders, so. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. Trans-feminine, trans-masculine, non-binary, it was not, you know what I mean? It just wasn't so strict. Yeah. Cool. And you went on Sister Spit with that. I did go on Sister Spit with that before it even existed. Like. Oh, yeah. We had made issue number one, but it was at the printers. And then I went, the first time I went on Sister Spit, I crashed the European tour and I went for half the European tour and I just had stickers. And I was showing slides and talking about all the, the work I was doing for the magazine so far. And people were, like, really excited about it. And this was before it even came out. So I knew there, from then on, that it was something that people, like, in Germany and, and France had heard of and that were coming out to, like, specifically see the slides and to hear more about it before mm-hmm. it existed in the printed form. Um, that was um, a pretty strong indication that people were excited about it. <clears throat> and then I went again uh, in 2011 to the... USA tour, <laughs> Sister oh, Spit, yeah. and I had, we had a bunch of episode, uh, issues out by then, but I um, was talking a lot about the collaboration with Zachary Drucker mm-hmm. at that point, because that um, was about to come out. Was Aaron Markey on that tour? No, it was Kirk Reed, Mari Naomi. Blake Nelson. Blake Nelson, Ali Liebogat, Michelle. I remember your, your slideshow. Okay, yeah, I think uh, I still have it memorized. I mean, if, if, if we Can you just plant, perform it right now? No, no, that's okay. <laughs> I'll get out a whiteboard. You can just sketch kind of what the pictures looked like or just show me on your phone what right. the pictures looked like. Um, I saw you on Sister Spit. I feel like I almost went on that European tour or I almost went on a subsequent European tour. Mm-hmm. Something and I didn't. And then hearing how crazily... It, I think I was supposed to go on that tour. I couldn't at the last minute because I needed tooth surgery. I needed dental surgery and I couldn't afford anything mm-hmm. so one of my friends was like nicole if the tour goes well michelle will do it again and then you can go the next time when you can chew uh-huh. and i was like oh so wise right. so i didn't go and then it was like a shenanigans tour there was a lot it was really fun it sounds fun i mean if you like adventure now i feel a little bit too old for adventure i mean it was my first time out of the united states of america it would have so been my first time too out of north america i mean i've been to mexico and canada yeah. but so that was exciting for me. So I was all about it. I yeah. had a great time. What was the craziest thing that happened while you were on that tour? Oh my God. The craziest thing. Were you there when the driver kicked you guys out? Oh yeah. In, I believe that was in Paris. Like outside of yeah, Paris? Yeah, it was in Paris. And was Christy Road on that tour? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Christy Road was on that tour. Kat Yost. So we, um, there was some, something happened where the driver was over it and not taking direction from anyone or feedback and was like, I hate you guys. I just want you out of the van. I can't remember the details. I thought, I think I kind of blacked out. Didn't want to get involved. I thought it was just ridiculous that like this grown person was screaming at, you know, the people that she was, uh, supposedly managing in a sense yeah. uh, on the road. It was very unprofessional <laughs> to say the least. So you just like left your body. You're yeah. Like, I left I'm my done. body. And then we took the, the subway in France the rest of the way that we had to go in Paris. That's crazy. And then we met up with somebody new, I think. It's a blur. I know Michelle's told blur. me this many times, like just like, like on the side of the road with all the luggage being like, fine, forget it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and then and then I believe like the thought was, well, I hope she returns the van. Like, what if she doesn't return the van? You know, what if she just takes off with the van and we have this out of country van? Oh, you know, we owe this van. Oh my god! <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That that tour sounds crazy. Yeah, it was crazy, but it was a good time. Good times. Good times. Well, you just got back from Greece. I did. I was just in Greece for like five days. That doesn't seem long enough. It wasn't. It was long enough for me at the time because I was very jet lagged. It was opposite ends. Like coming from LA, LA to Athens, it was my 7 a.m. was there like 6 p.m. or something like mm-hmm. that. So I know that doesn't, it, that feels pretty extreme to me, I'd say. Yeah. Because like by, by 10 o'clock at night, their time, I was feeling like ready to like be alive and to do, do things. But instead, it was like time for bed. Oh. But I was actually tired the whole time anyway. Mm. But that's how my body was kind of reacting. Like the any any um, bit of energy I did have was when everything was closed. <laughs> did they tuck you in at night? They're like time for bed. They tucked you in super tight so you couldn't no. get out of bed. No, I was in this like um, hotel which was next to the venue, so mm-hmm. it was uh, really smoky. I just smelled smoke the whole time. I thought that I was uh, in a fire. Most nights I would wake up smelling smoke and I was like panicked because I'm not used to being to smelling cigarette smoke. Oh yeah, um, in my house or where I'm sleeping or even in a hotel room. What were you there for? I was there for the Translist, the screening of a film that I was in. It's a documentary that was produced by Janet Mock for HBO, and it was also produced and directed by Timothy Greenfield Sanders, who is a photographer. And he does the a portrait series of films and of photo a photo series as well that goes along with it. So I was featured in the film of the Translist, and they flew me out there to have a Q and A and to also like give a, a speech on my work. Ooh. So after I literally got in thirty minutes before the Q and A, perfect. And I was rushed to the stage after being twenty hours, twenty four hours on the road. Perfect. So I looked. Great. <laughs> I bet. Very fresh. Yeah, it was good. Uh, what did they ask you at the Q&A? Some, well, it was really funny because some of the Q&A, all the Q&A questions had nothing to do with me. Was it all Greek people? Um, I'd say there was a mix of people. A lot of people had on headphones because they had live translators there. Mm-hmm. So um, when I was speaking, they would have American translators in a booth um, in a microphone talking to the people who could not speak English. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting and cool. I'd never seen that before. Um, the questions they asked, someone asked um, a question about Caitlyn Jenner being a Republican mm. and asked why, how I felt, what I thought of that, which I felt strange because as Caitlyn Jenner is in the film, so let me clear that up. Mm. But I had nothing to do with her being in the film, nor did I have, do I have anything to do with her, you know, um, Republican leanings. <laughs> so I also, I felt weird at, like, answering that question, so I tried my best to dance around it and mm-hmm. say that, like, you know, everyone's entitled to their own <laughs> yeah. opinions of political nature, regardless of gender or, you know, trans identity. Yeah. Um, and then another question was about Donald Trump. So <laughs> there really? we go. Yeah. Those are both. And you were like, look, Caitlin and I have a super pack. <laughs> We were pro-Trump. We're so happy with what's going on right we're now. We're thrilled. Super, super, super thrilled. It is tremendous. Yeah. It is tremendous what's going on with Donald Trump. Yeah. Well, good. But it was a really fun experience to go to Athens um, and to experience cigarette smoke constantly. But did you go on any outings where you were away from cigarette smoke? I did. I went... Um, every day I would go out for a few hours on my own and, and walk around. I didn't really take any cabs. I just walked, I would walk to the, um, Acropolis and I no would walk deal. to the Pantheon. I think I've only been to I gay clubs called. called these things. Okay. But yeah, all the, the ruins. I went to many different ruin sites. Oh um, my God. There was like seven within walking distance to each other and I bought like a, a three day pass so I could just go check them out every day. Um, and... I, I was, like, trying to read up on what everything was because I really didn't, like, pay attention to Greek mythology or history or anything like that. Um, no, no, no. Um, so most of the the um, the written history that they had, like, the, the cards of, like, um, where we were, there was very little in English. It was mostly, like, it would be in all these different languages and then, like, a sentence basically in English. English so, like, was, like... Like, to wind it up, they'd be like, you're looking at ruins in ancient <laughs> Greece. You know, it would have, like... Paragraphs in like Spanish and like Chinese and then like a sentence in English. You are standing yep. on something very old. 
this is old, you wouldn't understand it. Oh, you're right. Okay. <laughs> no, that's basically what it was saying. That's cool. That's yeah, cool. I was into it. Dear Amos and Nicole, what are your thoughts on boning a close friend? Potential soulmate or don't shit where you eat? Asking for a friend. God, sh- referring to dating as shitting where you eat is really hard for it's me. Romantic. <laughs> it's a little too romantic for me. Um, what are your thoughts on boning a boning a close friend or dating a close friend? Okay, well that's two different questions. Right? Then. Like once I had a friend make a move on me mm-hmm. and it was fine, but I, I was racked with anxiety the whole time. My brain was spinning like, oh no, no, no. What if this fucks up our friendship? Um, and then we dated and then we stopped dating and then our friendship came back, but it took a couple years to come okay. back. Well, I mean, it's like if you don't have like a maniac, the friendship will still be there at a certain point. That's what I think. I think that... You have to, it's going to depend on the situation and there's no like yes or no or right or wrong answer. And it's got to be like, where, where are you in your life? Like, are you interested in, um, taking it to the next level? Are you, what are the signals you're seeing from your friend? Is your friend taken? Are you polyamorous, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it, potential soulmate, sure, that could happen. I think mm-hmm. that that happens all the time with people who eventually date. Like people and who then, are friends and then they like... At least in the movies and on television, right? We saw La La Land together. (laughs) We did. I feel really stressed out about that. (laughs) So many awards. Why so many awards? I don't know. Why did it win so many awards? But you liked it. I didn't. I didn't. I I I was entertained by it. You were entertained. I didn't think it was that. I didn't think it was award winning. I thought that it was entertaining. Compared to Moonlight? I think most things are entertaining. Yeah. That I'm watching on a big screen after I paid money. I think a lot of things are You know what I mean? I've never walked out of a movie. Yeah, I think that most things are entertaining. And I think that, like, I, I am very confused by the amount of awards it won. I feel like if it wins at the Oscars over Moonlight, we'll know that white power is happening right now. Oh, yeah. Like, we <laughs> Definitely will... Definitely a confirmation. We live in, like, a fascist, like, white supremacist society. And if La La Land wins over Moonlight for those performances, for that jazz storyline... <laughs> I just, no offense. Remember to when she was happy to no longer have her child? No. At the end? Remember, in, remember you oh! brought that up. You said that she. When I, had, when I was crying? You she, mean that part with the part, the montage? She, yeah, the montage at the end, and she, she imagines a life without her child, and she's thrilled. Do they have different children in that montage or not? Yeah, it's like it was totally different kids, and she was like, yeah. Finally. Well, okay, so I need to tell listeners that La La we went together with this very small group. Um, and I was like, I fucking hate this. And I want to like thrash my arms around, uh-huh. but I didn't. I was like, they all hate it so much too. I was like, they was must like, hate it. They must hate it. Amos was like gazing at the screen with just hearts, hearts <laughs> over your eyes. But I was like, oh, and then I hated it so much. I was like, what? Why is this all white people? Because the opening sequence has like people of color. Right, like, We're trick. in Los Angeles. And then the rest of it, like, it's just white people. And then there's a montage at the, towards the end where she's imagining what could have been with Ryan Gosling. And I start crying like a bitch. I start crying like a baby. I was just like, he wanted it. He tried so hard. He just couldn't make it work for her. And I just feel really bad. Like, I just started crying. And then I was mad at myself for crying. But yeah. I just, I'm easily manipulated by movies and TV. When they play a song that's supposed to be suspenseful, I feel suspense. Mm-hmm. Then, they're, like a movie like The Sixth Sense, I didn't guess. I don't guess the twist of any movie. Yeah. I'm just there. But anyway, <laughs> then we laughed. And, I was, and then you were like, I liked it. And everyone we were with was like, that was great. I loved it. I loved it. Or that was like a great it was experience. A, it, was a, it was like entertaining. Yeah. If you, you know, take politics and the fact that it was all white people out of the picture. Mm-hmm. I liked listening to music and watching the dance numbers. Um, but I thought it was, I mean, it wasn't exciting. Mm-mm. It wasn't. I thought Dreamgirls was exciting. Yeah. It's, it wasn't that. Um, it was entertaining for the moment. I wouldn't watch it at home. I mean, like, it's like we went there, we paid for a ticket, great, I'm not going to walk out, it was fun. And it's not something I'd be like, oh yeah, we got to watch this on Netflix at home. You're like, you know what I'm putting in there? Because you could choose a different thing. Like, you could choose to watch Little Shop of Horrors Or Little House on the Prairie. Or Or Little House on the Prairie. Or Sound of Music. Or The Sound of Music. Or Annie. Or Rock and Picture Show. Or Mary Poppins. Or anything. Yeah. Anything else. But but then I was trying to seem amenable. So I I feel like I, I saved the bulk of my rage for later when I... Generally, when I see a movie and I feel like I'm having an unpopular opinion at the time, I'm generally alone. So, like, I'm to see Boyhood, 
And everyone I knew was like, bravo, bravo. It's the work of a lifetime. But then I went by myself and I was like, this is so fucking boring. I can't believe it. And like, no offense to men, but I was like, I just can't sit here and watch the story about this guy who's so uninteresting for his whole life. But everyone around me was like, well, because it took so many years to make, so that's what made it, it set it apart from other films, and that was going to be the talking point regardless. Whether it was good or bad, it was going to be talked about. I mean, that really gives me a lot of hope for my next book, because I'm like, what if it sucks? I'm like, well, I spent four years on it, so maybe, (laughs) maybe like it sucks, but people are going to be like, we have to say something nice about this because you worked so long on it. Right. I don't know. Okay, so boning a close friend, yes or no? What? Again, no right or wrong answer. I think that you you got to read the signs. You got to you got to feel. You got to pick up on those vibes before mm-hmm. you act. Wait, um, it's not, not like raping your best friend. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, boning your best friend. If it's, I mean, I feel like if it's something that you can separate, do it. Mm-hmm. If it's something that you have the um, option and interest in taking it to the next level or continuing on, also have that in mind and great, go for it. Mm-hmm. I think. You both have to act like reasonable people if it doesn't work out. And it's okay if your friendship is gone for a sec. It'll come back. Right. All right. My girlfriend, dear dear Nicole Amos, my girlfriend is smoking hot, like your hotel room in Greece, and gets hit on a lot. She's never given me any reason to think she'd be unfaithful, but I still find myself feeling jealous and gross. How can I get rid of these unhelpful thoughts and feelings? Hmm. Okay, well, you don't have to judge your feelings. This You're, is, yeah. I'm like a really big, I'm really big into judging my own feelings. I'm huge about judging, like, you shouldn't feel that way. But you can't, judge your feelings. And jealousy is totally normal. Yeah. Or, I mean, are you, you're not suspicious, you're jealous, right? That's yeah. the deal. Well, then je- I feel like you're allowed to feel that, so feel it. And if you feel gross, then you're going to have to make your jealousy feel a little bit... Just feel comfortable with it. I feel like unless there's, there's um, a need for suspicion or you're, like, super uncomfortable with other vibes that you're feeling... Yeah. Then just allow yourself to feel jealous and don't, uh, you know, don't hate yourself for it. Yeah, you you have contr- you don't have control over your first thought, but you have control over your second thought. So, right. and also, it's not your girlfriend's problem that you feel jealous. So, don't make it her problem. Right. Because if you make it her problem, it's going to turn into a self fulfilling prophecy where she's like, "This is a fucking drag." There's all these other people over here that are not being maniacal. Yeah, don't Goodbye. bring it to her. Don't process that with her. No, don't be like, <laughs> "You see that person looking at you?" Like she can't help it. She's just a person in the world. Yeah. She can't help it that she's smoking hot, you know, as, as we sit in front of this mirrored wall. <laughs> yeah, but you don't, yeah, I like, I like, yeah, don't, just feel it. I mean, that's, what do they say in like the, like the ethical slut or like those horrible polyamory books that wrecked a, wrecked a whole community in the early 2000s. <laughs> um, I used to sell the ethical slut when I worked at, in other words, the women's, um, the women's bookstore the feminist bookstore in portland and i hated that book so much because it had i had been like abused by that book right i've been like beaten the by the book when i was 23 says yeah like it says that like maybe if you don't want to know details maybe you're not really polyamorous like oh my God. there was just like all there was like a lot of polyamorous pressure in portland in the early 2000s to be polyamorous and if you weren't you were like a scourge or like no i know i remember that from san francisco too it was like if you aren't polyamorous or even if you're not using that word into like open relationships um then you're definitely the problem <laughs> you're a square you have jealousy issues you're um also and like it just isn't meant to be it's not meant to be but also like you're being really um like possessive mm-hmm. possessive of somebody oh my god we have another one somebody said their real name okay dear amos and nicole who gets the co-purchased dildo after a breakup is possession nine-tenths of the law here, or is it like a house and someone buys out the co-owner? These things aren't cheap, you know. Well, you got to get a paper route, because you sh- if the other person got the dildo, do not try to get them to give you $40. <laughs> yeah. Don't try to get them to buy you out $45 for your half of the dildo. Just. I mean, I would want to get rid of that dildo regardless after that relationship is over. 
you know, start yeah. fresh. I mean, that's me. I would think I would boil it and then sage it. It depends. If you bought it together, it. <laughs> boil it, sage it. If you bought it together, I think that's like if I have something that's my own, that's my own. Like one day I was like, free man. I like went to the store and I was like, I want this. This is mine. Uh-huh. Then it didn't have any ties to anyone. Right. But if you bought something together with somebody else, it's kind of tacky, I think, to then be like, you know. Something that your partner has gripped the girth of in the store to choose for you to then I go think, to somebody else and be like, right. oh, what do you think? I would um, give it up. Give it up? Yeah. Was, I wouldn't, I just, I mean, I wouldn't want to have that, to use it on somebody else anyway. No, and then they're like, wow, the girth is Even incredible. Even boil or no boil. No bo- boil you know or no I mean? boil. Yeah. Yeah. If you give it to somebody else too, those vibes aren't attached to it. Mm-hmm. Give it to, so Brandy, my friend Brandy came on the show to give sex advice earlier and she was like, I have so many old dildos from working at Babeland. If any if any young queer wants a free dildo, they're boiled, they're clean, <laughs> you know, do what you want. I don't know if everybody likes that, but... Not to be a Seinfeld... But have you ever noticed that I never try to sell you Blue Apron on the podcast? Or that we do not disparage and bemoan trips to the post office in favor of Stamps.com? Well, it is because we have no advertisers. Zero. Producer Chris, producer Ponyo, and myself do this out of the goodness of our hearts. Because we like it. If you would like to tip producer Chris Sutton, who dedicates hours to this series every week, please, 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 Please send your tip of $5, $10, who knows how much. That's your business via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That is hornet, like the insect, leg, like one of his appendages, at gmail.com. If you do this, we will read your name on the podcast. Isn't that exciting? We may have advertisers someday and we'll rant and rave about free sex toys and mattresses and blue apron and whatever but in the meantime thank you we appreciate your support and i look forward to saying your name on the podcast producer ponyo looks forward to it too that was ponyo's voice don't be scared bye hi nicole crystal here I recently saw my therapist for the first time since Donald Trump became president. I was explaining to her about how my anxiety has been acting up, and it seems like it started when I listened to the inauguration on the radio. And I was also explaining how I had a breakdown and bawled all day watching footage of the Women's March. I expected her to kind of be in the same boat, or at least be sympathetic to my fears about life under the Trump administration. But... Instead of reassuring me everything is going to be okay, she went off on her own political rants. And I guess I don't have to tell you, we apparently don't see eye to eye on this subject. He totally took me by surprise, as I've never heard her speak so passionately before. I felt extremely uncomfortable, and honestly, I wanted to just walk out. This was my therapy, not her soapbox. I should have spoken up, but I clammed up. Now I find myself dreading our next appointment, even though I really am in need of some guidance with some family issues currently. She is the only therapist I've ever had. I started seeing her when I was 19, and I am now 32. So the fact that she is a child psychologist may excuse her, as she has no experience with politics entering her office. Should I look for a new therapist after all this time? How could I possibly catch someone new up on 13 years of life information? I thank you and Amos for any advice. Wow. The first thing that pops into mind, I'm trying to put myself into your shoes. Um, if my therapist started to talk about being a supporter of Trump, which I agree has nothing to do, no place in your therapy session to yeah. hear your therapist's thoughts on that. Um, I, th- I thought that the point of therapy was that they agree with you on everything, basically, in a, on a way. You know, they're, they're there to support you. And to that is seems really... Um, just out of place and confusing. Um, I mean, therapists uh, are people. Of course. And maybe you like, do you like this person? 
I'm imagining because you've been going there for so long. Mm-hmm. She's a complicated person. There's she has a personality flaw, which is that she likes Donald Trump, and she shared it with you, which is another flaw. That's a flaw. That's like more of a um, professional flaw. But I guess I'm wondering, and I don't know if I'm the best at this, but I'm wondering if part of your therapeutic process could be the act of saying to her, I like you, I like seeing you. I felt like it was really inappropriate when I needed support for you to bring in your own thing. And it makes me uncomfortable, and it makes me think I might need someone else. But is it possible that we can move on from this? I think that's a great, actually a great idea. I didn't even think of actually bringing it to her, to the therapist, like bringing that up and having a conversation. Like as a therapeutic... Right. Like, because how else are you up go- for yourself? You're not going to know her response or unless you ask or unless you, because she might also feel the same way and feel that maybe, can you get over it or can you not to move on with your therapy sessions together? Um, I mean, I would keep it in the back burner to p- perhaps get some other options out there, uh, maybe recommendations from friends, but not someone that your friend is necessarily seeing. You know, yeah. if you're going to be talking, perhaps bringing in friends um, to your sessions uh, in conversation. So keep that on, on the back burner, the idea of being open for other therapists, and then bring it to your therapist, your discomfort. I agree with Nicole on that. I just, I had a therapist before, and we, I've had therapists in the past, and when I've had a problem with them, I've been like, well, fuck them, you know, and I've left. And then my last therapist, I had a problem with her, and then she brought it up, and I was like, oh, God, why is she bringing this up? And then I realized that maybe it was part of my therapeutic journey to have to resolve something with her Mm -hmm. and work through it and be like, oh, this is a person who I trust, Mm -hmm. who I have been trusting yeah. So maybe we can work this out instead of me being like, goodbye. Right. I mean, if you can trust this person, despite her political views, um, in handling and, you know, listening to your life and your issues, then I think that it's definitely worth having a conversation with her and not completely discrediting it. I feel like it's really hard to do that, though, with the whole Trump administration and there's so much of people cutting people out of their lives left and right. Um, family members, friends who coworkers who you find out they, you know, they're Trump supporters and you decide to cut them out. That's happening a lot. Yeah. Um, so I understand wanting to do that with the therapist, but have a conversation first. See, See how you feel. Yeah. Maybe the comfort, maybe the conversation will confirm to you that it's right for you to get rid of her. Right. But maybe the conversation will be like, oh, maybe it was good we tried to work it out. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I do have to say you're not alone, caller. After, like, right after the election, I went to, like, a group a group therapy, an anonymous fellowship meeting. And I went to share. And I basically was like, uh, my higher power, one of my higher powers is nature. And I feel a little scared after the election that that's not going to exist anymore. And I started crying, and then somebody cut me off and was like, in this meeting, we don't talk about politics. And I was like, Ugh. I was like crying. No place for your feelings. Yeah, I was crying and trying to be like, I'm legitimately scared that like the world's going to end. Yeah. Well, I guess that's not the place for it, is it? No. So then I left and cried in my, I left early and cried in my car and called a trusted friend. Good. Yeah. Um, okay. Here's a question that's specifically for you, Amos, that is about bodies of work. Hmm. Dear Amos, I want to exhibit a body of work I've been creating for a few years, but I have no clue what the best way is to go about it. Should I crowdfund to rent a space out? Should I try to work with the gallery? And then there are printing and framing costs. It's so overwhelming. Can you suggest some good first steps to take in getting this going for even some resources you've used in the, or even some resources I've used in the past? Thank you, you're great. P.S. These are photographs. Oh, photographs. Okay, mm-hmm. they're going to show me the photographs mm-hmm. that they sent. Okay. P.S. This is a photograph. Looks like. Um, let's see. I think that, um, in my experience, it's I didn't ever try to do that on my own. So um, the photo show. Yeah, I just had people um, come to me mm-hmm. from after. Eventually, when you put your work out there long enough, people perhaps will just come to you and invite you to show your work. Um, oh God. But like, if you had a bunch of stuff you wanted to show right now, what would you do? 
I would probably reach, if I had a bunch of stuff I wanted to show right now, I'd probably reach out to people I've worked with in the past mm-hmm. who I knew had already had an interest in my work. Mm-hmm. Galleries, you know, people who have contacted me for things. Um, but I think, like, if you're connected to a school or something like that, I think that going in the direction of working, um, trying to have a relationship with gallery of your university or college or mm. community college or high school or whatever mm-hmm. um could be a good start i, I would say look, look at other people so like look at like if you say that you your photos are in the same line or have something to do aesthetically with what amos is doing like i would say to stalk people who you like that have something similar and see where they've shown yeah or see who has promoted them and then ask those people or try to get you know what i mean like with anyone whose work you look up to, try and see if you can follow their steps. If you can That's find actually their really steps. Good idea, yeah. If you can there's no like easy answer that I can give this person because it was after working long enough, people wanted to show my work. That was it. You know what I mean? I do not did not I don't really didn't have connections in like the gallery world. Mm-hmm. Um I I think that and when it came to framing things Sometimes I would have to, I would be offered a show, but I would have to pay for the framing and printing myself. And that was something I had to do. Like, I did not crowdfund it. I, like, just paid to do it um, <clears throat> the cheapest way possible. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, I've, I, because I used, to, I don't show anymore because it's a pain in the ass. I would. Um, but I would always go to, like, Michael's or Joanne's and, like, have a coupon. Mm-hmm. They would have a coupon, like, coupons for frames like 50% off or whatever, you can get a Michael's app. But I'll go to a craft store and get frames there. That was like the cheapest. Ooh, I think this might be about a job. Oh my God, do you have to get it? No, should I? I don't know. I don't know. It's up to you. Oh, wait. Okay. I think it's about a job because I just applied to a bunch today. And it's just got, it's McDonald's calling. It's McDonald's app. calling. Can you pause it? Sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. I think You're I know. Like, I think it's about a Could I'll be Carl's Jr. Um, but... I would go to like Michael's or like a craft store, get the cheapest frames I could, do the math, try to figure out everything on my own for super cheap. And then I would show, even if like you say you you can't get one of these people to bite right away and you've never had a gallery show, show it like a coffee shop or a cool place, have an opening, have your friends come, invite the people who you want to show you in the future so they can see what your stuff looks like up on the wall. They can see that you have brought people there on your own. Right. How about like local community centers too? Like Mm -hmm. if this is LGBT themed work, then go to your local community center, see, they're always showing work, I think. I mean, I'm always seeing like new artists up in in those spaces. Um, So check out that sort of thing and then look for the cheapest frames possible. Research like the cheapest way to print your photographs. Um, You don't have to be, you know, doing self printing on like really expensive paper for your first show or things like that. there's just so many things that go into it that it's very, it's a trying, it's definitely an ordeal if you're not someone who has a lot of resources um, to break into that part of the art world. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I don't feel like I'm part of that world at all. Like yeah. everything that's happened, I've been in lots of group shows, I've been in like collaborative shows, and um, it's always exciting like when it's happening, and it's, but it's always, I always feel frenzied and rushed and like I'm not sure if I'm doing it right so oh yeah I've <laughs> to never... this day like it's um something yeah. that's like a really exciting thing but it's also a very uh I don't I never feel like I'm prepared enough see if there's someone who will help you see if there's somebody who's helped other people like you before who can help you like I even once had like an ex who worked as the curator at a coffee shop and he totally helped me like, hang a show, get the show ready, prepare the show. It was nice to have someone to help. So, check that out. Yeah. And, you know, like Beth Pickens says, the more things you ask for, the more things you'll get denied for. But that's okay, because it gets that out of the way. Like you get, you're, It doesn't sting as much when you've been denied a few times. And the only thing we know for sure is you're not going to get anything if you don't ask for it. Right. So, you can ask these people that have helped out other photographers like you. And if they say no, that's okay. You have to ask more people. Mm-hmm. Amos, we both have to go in a second. I have a really hippie snack for you. Before right. we call back McDonald's, I want you to try... Um, this Should is, I close my eyes? This is carob chips oh, okay. with raisins. All right. Are you a carob fan? 
Let's see. Okay. You can, you're welcome to try them alone or separate. It's basically like, it's chocolate chips. But it's carob. So it's like his own thing. Chocolate-ish. Chocolate-ish. It tastes like, um, it's it? kind of a woodsy carob. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I Almost just, like wood. Like wood? Okay, okay. Carob and um, raisins raisin. together. Mm, interesting. Well, I want to tell you, my friend Morgan told me to go to hell for feeding her prunes on the podcast. Go to hell? <laughs> I tried to I tried to throw down. Silas dipped his hand into a bag of carob chips the other day and just was like, ugh. He's like, what are you doing? But then, when I had a couple of sunflower seeds with them. I think that's fine. And you know, I bake with these. You I, do? I would, I'd say. I would bake muffins or, or some scones mm. with these instead of chocolate. Because, mm. um... What's the difference between carob and chocolate? There's different plants, different pods. It's similar though. What do you say? They're similar, but but I think for me, carob fails when you think of it as chocolate. Yeah. You have to think of it as its own thing. It's kind of chewy. Kind of like vegan cheese. You can't really like be imagining right. actual cheese right, in right, your right. mind, or you're gonna be really disappointed. You gotta know what you're in for, and you yeah. gotta respect what it is. Yeah, respect. It's really, what it is. Go- carob is really good at being carob. It's really good at being carob. <laughs> Not so good at being chocolate. No. Carob's got... But you know what? Even producer Ponyo can have carob. I don't know if... Micromanager Cody, my dog, could have carob. Really? I don't know. Um, Amos, we both have to go. Is there anything you want to plug or tell us about? Or is there anything special about the O.J. Simpson trial you want us to know? Well, that's a whole other podcast, Nicole. You're welcome to come back. Okay. I mean, the the whole O.J. Simpson obsession. I I watched the O.J. Simpson trial live on television um, in high school, mm. aging me greatly. Mm-hmm. And then um, I feel like I, I watched that, the OJ miniseries and a year after it came out mm-hmm. and I'm like sucked back into it. Now I'm like reading Marsha Clark books and like as much as I can about the trial, even though I already like experienced watching it through the media mm-hmm. when it was happening in the 90s. So anyway, that's a whole other podcast, as I mentioned. But plugging something, check out originalplumbing.com. See mm-hmm. all the, the magazines that we have um, from the past, God, what is it, like eight years now? You seven have a lot years. of magazines. We have a lot of, we have 18 issues up there, so check it out. Um, they're all, almost all of them are available, except some of the early ones. And then, um, as for that, other than that, I don't know. I think those are going to be a collector's item. Maybe. That's what I think. I mean, it's really a special art object, too. Yeah. Like, because you wanted to bring kind of a higher-end art photography into it. I did, and I wanted to make it, like, making it printed, a printed object is something that was, like, really important to me. Like, as a photographer, I wanted to have it on the page. I want the photos and the stories to be on a page. I didn't want it to be on a website. You mm-hmm. know, I didn't want it to live there. I didn't want it to be experienced on a screen. So, it was very... Oh, God, Siri. <clears throat> it was really... Um, Part of the entire, that's the entire concept behind it was that it, keeping print alive and mm-hmm. bringing back that feeling of having like the pages in your hand and like holding onto it for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years and, mm-hmm. or throwing it away or giving it to someone yeah. who might actually need it, you know? Yeah. It's People like need it who don't have access to the internet or who can't be looking at websites with half naked guys on it in front of their family or, <laughs> or whatever. Or reading articles about like, trans experiences. It's not just that, you yeah. know, there's a lot of like... Stories about people who are from, you know, small towns and people who have different relationships with their parents, different sexualities. So, um, yeah, it's good to, it's, it's cool when people seem to get a lot from the magazine mm. when I get messages. Wait, last, last question. This is a question that I asked. Sorry. I know we both actually have to go. We went on that OJ trip. That you have funny. to call McDonald's. I have to call Judith. Butler. I don't know if it's McDonald's. I think it's a. How do you stop having a crush on someone? How do you stop having a crush on someone? And then I'm going to read you the advice you gave on this same question from 2009. Okay. Um, I say you have to confront that crush head on, either personally, like on your own, and whether that has to do with the other person or not, it's up for discussion. Or you, um, so you either acknowledge, first you acknowledge it. You acknowledge Mm -hmm. that the crush exists. And then you have to think, who is it on, and should I act on it? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and whether or not you act on it, you know, no right or wrong answer there. Mm-hmm. So that's going to depend on the person. But I think just like acknowledging it and like being okay with it. And mm-hmm. but what if, your, what if it's unrequited, so you have to get over it? If you have to get over it, um, <laughs> I mean, what other, what else can you say? Then if you have to get over it, you get over it. I have to say... What, did, what the hell did I say in 2009? Was I like, don't take no for an answer! <laughs> Just go for it! You said, watch a few seasons of a favorite guilty pleasure TV show within 48 hours to okay. get your mind off things. Then post three different Craigslist casual encounters <laughs> posts using three of your most diverse personality traits, but allow them all to go to the same email address. It works, at least for like three days. Oh my God. I was trying to be funny. It works. That's pretty good. That's hilarious. I think that the best thing you can do... <laughs> Tara just says, just stop it. <laughs> just stop it. Don't make it the other person's problem. <laughs> But I think... Wow, that was something. It's really valuable, I think, to make a list, especially with a dear, trusted friend of everyone you've ever had a crush on, because your friends remember some fucking gnarly, heinous, embarrassing people that you've had a crush on. I think it'll put it in perspective. Yeah. Because it might be at this moment you feel like, like, no, this is it. This is the person for me. I can't believe it. But if you write down, like, the, like, 100 people that your friends remember you pining after, you'll be like, oh... Oh. Or you can take my advice from 2009. And post three different Craigslist casual I mean, encounters ads. Yeah. With three different that's, a, that's an activity for sure. I was just had to volunteer somewhere. Um, okay. This is pretty good. Thanks yeah. for coming on the podcast. This is really fun. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Come back and talk about OJ sometime. I will. That's, that's, that's a whole other thing. Talk about Jean Bonnet. Yeah. Whenever you want. I'm telling you a true crime podcast. Do you think Burke did it? <sighs> Up for discussion. I don't think he did. Not At least not on purpose. I don't think he did it on purpose. No. All right. Thanks, Amos. All right. Thanks, Nicole. Thank you. Thanks. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. This week, we want to give a shout out and thank you to Nicole Gauthier, a.k.a. Kitty. I may have just messed up your name. Thank you for tipping producer Chris. Also, happy birthday, producer Chris.